Hello and welcome to Just the Guy and his journey back to God. So today we're in Genesis 6 and before we get started reading, let's go ahead and uh, open with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this day, for all you've done. I'm grateful for who you are. I'm so grateful for the fact that you love me, despite my shortcomings. I'm grateful that you are living in me through your Holy Spirit. And I'm grateful for your grace, because I need it. Father, I lift up this time, I lift up this day. I just pray that the words we read, the message we hear, would be one that's perfect for each of us. And that we would be clear in your your message to us. That you would be the one that we focus on. I thank you, Father. I'm grateful for it. And I just pray that now our hearts, our spirits, and our minds would be open and receptive to what you have to say. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so today we're in chapter 6. Um, you've pro- pro- probably noticed, or may not, that yesterday there was no podcast. I was, um, I took off early at about five o'clock, five thirty in the boat, and went to see the Artemis launch. We put in about a, a buddy of mine came up from out of town, put in about a hundred and ten miles on the boat, and only the to have the the launch not occur. So the best laid plans of men, right, are. If you want to make, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, um, that sort of thing. So anyways, I was off doing that and, uh, I thought I was going to be able to come back and be able to do the podcast, go through chapter six. And there was just no way I was so tired and it just wasn't going to happen. So I wanted to make sure that you guys, that we, we covered this one fairly well because it is unique. It's interesting. It's about the, uh, it's about the sons of God and also the uh, about the beginning of Noah building the ark. So without much more ado, I'll go ahead and get started reading. What I will give you a warning on, I don't know how to answer some of the questions that may come into your mind and because they come into mind, and I'll highlight them. And unfortunately, there's very little written about it in any of my commentaries. Chapter 6 is completely ignored by Spurgeon, um, at least in the writings that I have available to me. So it, but, and then, um, but Tozer does have something that I think is pretty cool. It's all, it's about grace because Tozer loves grace. We all do. So with that, I'm just going to go ahead and start verse one. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married many of married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. So it went from being, you know, these guys were living seven, eight hundred years, nine hundred years, to now he's like, No way, they're living too long. And we're gonna cut it down to a hundred and twenty years. And so you think about it, that's pretty much where we're at today. But in the past, it was great. And that was about after over 1,500 years of society. So if you think about it, how could the world have become heavily populated? One is they 
aged way different than us, and they lived for a thousand, seven hundred years, six hundred years, and they had kids for a really long time, and then their kids had kids, and so on and so forth. So it was they were a different being back then, I would imagine, and they ate definitely aged differently. Because who would want to be around for seven hundred years if, from the time you're you're sixty, your body was in really bad shape? So I doubt they age the same way as we we know them, and, or know of our aging. And then when it talks about the eventually here, it's going to talk about the people becoming kind of wicked. You start thinking about it for fifteen hundred years, people are populating the the world, um, just growing and adding to the the number of folks on the earth. And you have Cain's family who was cast out from being next to God or in the presence of God. So from that whole existence, you can see that there would probably potentially be easy for people to go and fall into their base natures. So anyways, let's go to verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Now, I'm not sure who they are. They're referenced somewhere, but basically they're probably pretty big dudes, pretty big people who were kind of could kick some butt. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So again, think about it. They're just out there populating, working, growing. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was so deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Other translations put, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So this is the account of the flood. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. So think about it. If God is so sick of the human race that he's going to wipe them out, but then Noah is this righteous man, he must really stand out. And you wonder what his neighbors, how they treated him. Did he get jeers? Did he get threats? You never know. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in, Je- in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Again, think about just like what happens when here in the States. Things go crazy. We have these riots. People just, their base nature runs rampant. Think about that happening constantly. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the, the, roof, an, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath, the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, 
you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to keep every, take every kind of food that is eat, to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So people will say, oh, that's garbage. How can that happen? Two of everything. Well, when you think about it, if you believe that God created the earth, spoke it into being, created all the animals, he pretty much understands the DNA and the structure. He knows everyone down to the molecule. And he knows how to do this. And it doesn't say it's through natural means. And there's an interesting painting, and I would encourage you to look at it. It's called Noah's Ark by Edward Hicks. He was a, he was a Quaker preacher back in the late 1700s when he was born all the way up until I think he passed away somewhere around 1870 or 1880 or 60, something like that. Anyway, so he has this painting called Noah's Ark and it shows the animals going into the ark just lined up two by two. But what's interesting is you'll see two horses standing in front of a tree as they're waiting. And like normal animals, they... You can't see the tree behind them because they're physical. But then when there's a rhinoceros and I think a giraffe, two, you know, two of them, getting onto the ark, you can actually see the lines of the ark and the structure of the ark through them so as if they're becoming transparent. Or their structure, their molecular being is changing. And I've always thought about it. I used to have that a print of the painting in my house. And I always thought, well, couldn't God change the structure of the animals and the people so that they could all fit into that ark and all of them would know to go there? And couldn't he also just transport most of them there? Not most. He could have transported all of them. So when people say it's impossible, that's because they're using their human minds, their human thought processes. They're not thinking about God. Is it any more impossible, in my th this is what I, the way I think about it, that God could make the animals fit into an ark than it is that he could give me enough grace that I could live with him forever? I think it's harder to give me grace because I'm an intentional individual who intentionally sins than it is for God to make the animals into a structure so that they all fit into an ark and all survive. And I think we need to really instead look at what was the message being told and being taught versus, uh, that's BS, it can't happen. Because there's a message there, because God could have just said, you know what, I'm going to hold all of you in suspended animation, knock out the earth, start over and repopulate it with animals because bottom line animals for the most part you know they're not really spiritual beings they don't know right from wrong so as a result he could just recreate them all but there's a reason that he did it the way that he did it partly i would imagine somewhat because it's we're the caretakers and it's our responsibility to take care of the animals just as we have dominion over them we're supposed to take care of them too so 
Anyways, with that thought in mind, I'm going to go ahead and read from Tozer. He focuses on Genesis 6, 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Nobody, nobody ever got anything from God on the grounds that he deserved it. Having fallen, man deserves only punishment and death. So if God answers prayer, it's because God is good. From his goodness, his loving kindness, his good-natured benevolence, God does it. That's the source of everything. These are the only grounds upon which anybody has ever been saved since the beginning of the world. There's an idea abroad that in the Old Testament men were saved by law, and that in the New Testament they are saved by grace. The second is right, but the first is wrong. Nobody has ever been saved from the day that Abel offered his bloody lamb on a homemade altar down to the latest convert made today, except out of the goodness of God. Because of God's grace, his mercy, his loving kindness, his goodness and graciousness, his cordiality and approachability, he kindly saved people. We've taken the word grace and made a technical term out of it. That's one of the things I fault, I'm at fault for. I take things and I make processes out of them instead of just accepting that I have grace given to me. The people in the Old Testament were not saved by, by keeping anything because we deserved hell. And if God had acted according to justice alone, he simply would have pulled the stopper out and flushed us all down to hell and been done with it. But God, out of his loving kindness, graciously forgave those who, could, who, who would come according to the conditions God laid down. Everyone is saved by grace. Abel was saved by grace. Noah was saved by grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So was Moses and all the rest of the coming, all the rest coming down to the coming of Jesus and his dying on the cross. All were saved by grace out of the goodness of God. And everybody's been saved by grace out of the goodness of God ever since. Amen. I haven't earned it. I don't, I don't deserve it. It's purely grace. And with that, I'm going to close with prayer. Thank you, Father, for your grace. And thank, thank you that I cannot out your grace. Thank you that I can't be a bad enough person that you can't forgive me. I thank you for all that you've given me and done. I lift up this, this life of mine to you and pray that you would be the one that I serve and that I'd bring you joy. That would make you smile at the very least and that I would do sort of, that I would do your will, not sort of, but I would do the best to my ability. I pray that I would continue to live for you and that your Holy Spirit would speak to me and help me understand what that means and that I would have the, the strength to do it. I lift up this day, I lift up this time, I lift up our country, and I lift up our families. I just pray you watch over them and keep them safe. Introduce people into their lives who know you and can help them grow closer to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a great day.